to help out along the way, just whatever I could do. And as I was in Shreveport, as we began church planting in 2005, one of my jobs I had was valet parking. And I've, all, I've been for quite a few years now kind of a portly fellow. And so, you know, if you've ever been around valet parkers, um, one of the things they have to do is they have to run to go get that car. Well, in my case, a run-like effort. <laughs> but that's one of the things. They have to run, go get the cars, and then uh, as they drop the car off and come back, they have, because there's a line of people waiting, they have to run back. And we were often parking cars for private parties for these palatial mansions. And so here we are, the valet parkers, and many of those parties, um, you're parking cars for sometimes, you know, 18-year-old kids who are driving cars that are valuable than most any house I've ever lived in. And so you take me, and they were much younger than me because I was already in my 30s, and here I am parking cars for kids and these giant houses, and, and we never, ever went inside of the house because we knew our place. Our place was outside serving, being... Uh, but it, we definitely knew... We didn't belong. We definitely knew that we weren't accepted on the inside of that, that it was okay for us to be outside and doing what we were doing, but it wasn't okay for us to go inside. And that was made pretty clear. So I know what it feels like to be on the outside of something and looking in and just wondering, I wonder what it's like in there. But I guess I'm probably not going to find out because that's really not a place for me. And sadly, that's the way it is, or it feels. Let me use that word. That's the way it feels with so many churches, right? Maybe you at one time in your life have found yourself on the outside and you thought, you know, I need to go to church and I have this desire. I know that God could help me with what I'm going through or what my family's going through, but I can't get in there because I don't belong. If I walked in, mouths would drop open and they would gasp so hard that everyone with a comb over, their hair would blow backwards. I, I don't belong in there. The ceiling would cave in if I walked in. I don't belong in there. I don't have the right clothes or I'm not the right color. I'm not the right anything. I don't fit. I can't go. I want to, but I don't feel like I can. Maybe you have been on the outside and something about your personal style just made you think, I just don't think that I could go in there. Not without causing a problem anyway. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture this morning that addresses something very, 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 very similar to that feeling. This whole series, we're going to be in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. This morning, we're going to start with verse 1, and it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. And verse 2 reminds us, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, the disciples did. Verse 3, so he left. And you know that word there, left? And the original language really is giving you the picture of him abandoning this town for a while. 
not just leaving, but abandoning, saying, I, I, I'm not going to have anything to do with this kind of fussing and this kind of argument or conflict. And it's almost as if he abandoned them for a moment. That's what the word means. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. So Jesus, in this moment, he wanted to stay there and serve and minister and love these people here, but he chose to change his plans. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to make a change. Now, in this day and time, Jesus, you know, he was a Jew, grew up as a Jew. He was Jewish. God's plan for him to be Jewish. And the Jewish people despised, loathed the Samaritans. They did not like them at all. This relationship between Samaritans and the Jewish people, it it was non-existent. They didn't like each other, and especially the Jews towards the Samaritans. So, usually when they traveled, if they were going from Judea to Galilee, Samaria was in the middle. And they would go all the way around Samaria, cross a river into another country, and they would double the distance of their journey just so they didn't have to walk into and run into and talk with, be around Samaritans. That's how bad it was. The Samaritans were on the outside. And the Jewish people just kept them excluded, separated. They wanted to keep them on the outside, really. And so here we find out, so he left Judea to return to Galilee. Now look at verse 4. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now let me just make a point here. Jesus didn't have to do anything. But for some reason, he felt he had to go through He had to go through Samaria. When all of his other companions, if they ever made that journey, they went out of the country and around so they didn't have to go through Samaria. And Jesus is like making an exclamation point here. And he's saying, I'm going through, fellas. Follow me. He said he had to go through Samaria on the way. This was a despised people. And Jesus is saying, listen, guys, I'm making a change. Not only are we changing plans and not staying in Judea, not only that, but I'm going to change the way that we interact with other people. I'm making a change here. Things are going to be done differently. Watch this. We're going through. Samaria. I can just imagine the disciples following, trailing alone behind Jesus uh, and no one wanting to really be up there and ask the questions because yeah, he's the rabbi. They don't really, they, they can't. They, they're just going to follow him. And just the conversations going on behind him as they're walking. But it's saying, I, I'm going to do things differently. I, I'm going to make some changes. Things are going to be different around here from now on. We're not going to do things the way we've always done them. And I just want you to know, as your pastor at Stuttgart Harvest Church, change is very, very important to us. In fact, it is so important to us at Stuttgart Harvest Church that it is one of our seven core values. 
we have seven things that we latch on to and we say this is valuable and it is a value that we hold that is part of who we are as a church. And it says this, change. We will constantly be evaluating and creatively innovating so that we can be effective, so that we can do things differently to remain effective, like good mosquito killers. I got him. Change. So at Stuttgart Harvest Church, my friends, we are committed to change because it's so important. Jesus is, is basically saying, okay, fellas, I have to go through Samaria because I am here to make a difference in the entire world for the rest of eternity. I am on a mission and we have to do some things differently because I'm on a mission. And I want you to understand at Stuttgart Harvest Church, we are on a mission given to us by God in this area. And as we begin to plant other churches and more churches and other places, we are on a mission as a church given to us by God. And we will constantly be in a state of change. It's okay to be afraid of change. It's okay, but we won't let the fear of change stop us. If you've been with us even for six months, you have seen significant changes. That's just the way we are. We're constantly changing. When we started here, we, we worshiped in this room with about 25, 30, 35, 40 people. And then as we grew, we discovered we need to add multiple worship experiences. So we did a 930 and we did an 11 o'clock or however it worked back then. I can't remember. And then we discovered this. We need to change some more. So we threw up a video camera and we took the children and moved them to the bowling alley. And then we set up a simulcast, a live video feed in that theater over there. So we had people over here and we had people then over there watching a live video feed on the giant movie screen of what was happening in here. And then, starting Easter of this year, we decided, you know what, that we need more change. And so we decided that's going to be a live worship experience next door, a live worship experience here. And on Easter, we had four live worship experiences. And now every Sunday, we have three live worship experiences happening every day, every Sunday here. Why? Because we are constantly changing and evaluate. You know what else we do differently? Sometimes we send this band over there and we send that band over here and we get you all confused and messed up, don't we? Because we value change. It's good for you. It's good for me. It keeps us effective, alert, and on mission as a church, we're constantly changing and doing things differently. And we don't always let you know about it, do we? Because it's good for us. Change. Jesus said, listen, guys, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Now, let's look at verse 5. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. We could go into that a little bit and, and catch you up, but we don't have time. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, 
sat wearily beside the well about noontime, the hot, near, nearing the hottest part of the day. Jesus. Our Bible tells us that Jesus is part of God. He is God. And he put on the flesh of man so that he could come to this earth and die on the cross for us and do exactly what he was on the journey to do right here. That's why Jesus came. That's why God put on the flesh of man. So here we have Jesus who is completely God, the limitless God, the God who created the universe, created the world, created you, and he created me. This God, limitless, put on the body and the flesh of a man who is, who is bound by limitations. He changed for us. How important is change to God? Now, our God, the Bible tells us, never changes. His character, his nature never changes. But he does change plans. He does change direction. He does change uh, uh, routes. And he does change lives. And in this moment, he changed by taking the limitless God and putting that God into a limited body. And here, the, limited, the limitless God in his limited body was now tired. God doesn't get tired unless he puts on the body of a man and experiences life as a man. He changed for us. And he was tired and he was weary and he sat down here about noontime at this well. Look what God did for us. Now verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And we have to imply a couple of things, infer a couple of things because of this. One of those is it's noontime and they did not normally draw water at noon. More than likely because we know the end of the story. And if you don't, we're going to get there in a moment. But because we know some information about this woman and, and her life that she was living, then we understand more than likely she was at this well at noontime when other people were not going to be there because she didn't fit in. Not only did the Samaritans not fit in with Jews, but she was a woman and men and women did not co-communicate. And she was a woman who had some issues. And so it was just like the triple whammy. So here we have her, verse 7. Soon the Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, um, give, me a, give me a drink. Verse 8. He was alone, big no-no, culturally speaking. There was no law against it. Jesus didn't break the law because he was sinless, couldn't break the law. But he did things differently. Jesus was accepting this woman. He was saying, I I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to accept her. Everyone else who's a Jew, they're going to push her away. And they're not going to have anything to do with her. Because according to Jews, she was unclean. Spiritually. Which would make them spiritually unclean. 
Jesus said, hey, would you give me a drink? He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse 9, the woman was surprised, here we go, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. Woman, which makes it even worse, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus setting up another change here. I, I, I'm going to accept everyone, Jesus is saying. I, I'm going to love everyone, Jesus is saying. I am going to pursue them, not punish them. I am on a mission to pursue my creation and do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And I'm going to start by accepting them. Verse 10, Jesus replied to her, if you only knew the gift God has for you, you would, and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Verse 11, but sir, you, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well, this well is very deep. Think with me for a moment about a deep well. I, I want to propose to you this morning that we do, we all have wells that are very, very, very deep in our lives. Wells that, that are exponentially deep. So let's just assume this is our well, all right? And so let's just think of some of the things that in our lives, we know we have a void and an emptiness, and we need something to comfort us, to fill us, to make us feel normal or right. We need something. It takes something. What are the things we use? Well, here, here's a scarecrow woman. Hopefully you don't use a scarecrow, but you might use a relationship with a woman. Here's a man. He's a scarecrow too. We're going to put them in there. Sometimes we use people to fill up that emptiness in our lives because we need people. We, and, and, and we just, sometimes you just, you may not know what to do with yourself if you don't have a relationship. And maybe you've taken relationships and you've taken these people and you've put them in your life to fill up something to make you feel okay about who you are. Um, here, here are some other things we do. Um, we've got some, some miniature money here. We're going to put that in here. Um, sometimes we just feel like we need money. That if we just had enough money that perhaps we would have what we need. We could get the things that would make us happy if I just had a little bit more. Or maybe we don't have what we want and we could say, if I just had, if I just had, then that would make me happy. Um, sometimes we think, well, maybe it'll take some kind of pain reliever, some, some kind of something to help me if I just can just take the edge off. Maybe alcohol or, or some kind of drug, if I could just take the edge off, maybe then I would be okay. 
Um, here's a paint strip representing our homes. Some of us, maybe it's just if, we, if I had a better place to live or, or maybe we just do value our home more than we value anything else, maybe that's it. This is technology here. This represents technology. Maybe it's whatever, computers, phones. Maybe it's just the next thing with technology and you always have to have it. And if you don't have it, then maybe you feel like and for some reason, maybe you pursue technology. Here's a car. We'll put that in. And look at all these things that are going in, but look at all the room that's left over. Why? Because this well is deep. It is very, very deep. Here's a fork. This one's for me because sometimes food is what it takes. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to fork. I put a fork in it, but it's not done. I promise you that. And then here's a lock. This is going to go in last because this lock really represents security. And whatever it is in your life, these things probably represent some kind of security to you, some kind of security. But all of those things are in here, but the well is still deep. And here the woman says, what are you going to do? I mean, how are you going to take care of this? How are you going to accomplish this? Because the well is deep. And I know if your life is anything like mine, the well in your life then would be very, very deep. And then she asked Jesus this, where would you get this living water? And verse 12, and besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better well than he and his sons and, uh, and his sons' animals enjoyed? How can you? Jesus replied in verse 13, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Verse 14, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And now suddenly her interest is piqued. And she says in verse 15, please, please, sir. The woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty and I won't have to come here to get water again. Verse 16. Now Jesus begins to get to the heart of the matter. Go and get your husband. Jesus told her. Verse 17, I, I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. Verse 18, for you've had five husbands, actually, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Her well in her life was deep so deep that she had gone from relationship to relationship, from marriage to marriage, and now she was living with the person and not being married, but it was still a relationship, and the relationships were not filling her life, and something was still empty, and something was still wrong, and something was certainly still missing. Just like us. just like us. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says, I'm using an, an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. 
just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity. This is describing this life of this woman, but it's also describing my life, and it's describing your life. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness. Notice that phrase, ever-increasing wickedness. Ever-increasing wickedness. It takes more and more, no matter what we try to fill our well, our life with, it takes more and more and more, and it's never, never full. It takes more relationships. It takes more sex. It takes more pornography. It takes more alcohol. It takes more pain medication. It takes more everything. Ever increasing wickedness. And then Paul says, so now offer yourselves instead to slaves to righteousness, which is leading to holiness. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Verse 21, but what benefit did you reap at the time of the things you were ashamed of? Listen to that phrase. Because everything that we put into our well gives us some kind of benefit. And Paul is saying, what kind of benefit though? You're getting a payoff for everything you're trying to fill your life with. But he says, really, really, what is the benefit? The real benefit, the end result, ultimately, it's shame. Isn't that the truth? It's ever-increasing wickedness. It takes more and more and more and more, and it only leads to shame. What is the real benefit, Paul is saying? What is it? He says, those things result in death. Do you realize we try to manage our bad behavior? And when it, t this is why we cannot manage our addictions and our habits and those things that control us, because it takes more and more and more, ever increasing. It takes more, and we will never, ever be able to manage as we think we can our addictions, because it takes more. And those things result in death. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves instead to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and it results in eternal life. And then verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can't manage our addictions or behavior. We can't manage our promiscuity. We can't manage our uh, habits that have us wrapped up. We think we can, but we can't. But look at all of that room in there because it always takes more. And Jesus is saying this, I've got for you something different. I've got for you a living water. And watch what happens as I pour this water into this container. It fills in every single open space. 
Every single crevice, every single crack, it just begins to fill it, and it begins to fill in all of the empty spaces. And Jesus is saying, I am what you need. You're trying to fill your well with you and things and relationships, people and stuff and drugs and junk. But he said, the only thing that's truly going to fill you is me, a relationship with me, because I go into every, every single crevice of your life. I fill you. That's what you need. And Jesus says this to this woman, I am going to do things differently. I'm not going to do things the way we used to. I'm going to accept you right where you are. In the middle of, of what you're involved in in your life, I'm coming to you. And we're going to have an appointment. And we're going to sit down and talk. And I'm going to let you know I love you. And I've pursued you into your life, into the mess that you're in. You didn't have to clean it up first. I walked in to your life. And at Stuttgart Harvest Church, we want you to know this. Jesus accepts you. He doesn't take our sin and say, oh, that's okay, and brush it aside. Because that's why he's on the march towards the cross, to take care of the sin. But he said, you are my creation, and I accept you as my creation, and I love you, and I've pursued you. And in fact, the very reason you're here today, you may have no idea, but God brought you here so he could say this, I love you. And he's meeting you here this morning. And the reason why we started Stuttgart Harvest Church was because you and we were expecting you to walk into this door and here you are. And our hearts say to you as a church, we're not going to leave you on the outside and leave you wondering if you will be accepted here in this church. We want you to know, and this freaky, weird-looking pastor wants you to know, we accept you and Jesus died for you. And this morning, if you have never submitted your life to him, all you simply have to do is say, Jesus, I am yours. Because he died on the cross for you. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the good news for you this morning is that's your next step. On the back of your connection card, if you've never taken a next step with us this morning, if you have never connected your life with Jesus, we want you to do it this morning. If you will just simply submit to him and say this, this life that you have created, all the mess that I have created of it, Jesus, you can have it. I've tried it my own way, and I give up, and I'm going to give myself to you, and I choose to follow you. In your heart, if for the very first time you're saying, I choose to follow you, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, allowing me to submit myself to you. You paid for my sins on the cross. Three days later, you rose again. And now today, that allows me to surrender, to give myself to you. And if you're doing that for the very first time on the back of your connection card, would you let us know? You can circle the letter A saying, that's me. I'm doing that today. 
And before you leave, please stop by Guest Connections. It's the table with all the books on it. And pick up the piece of paper that says, Next Steps, First Steps. Take that with you and read it this week. It's a must. You need to know what's inside of it. Here's what the letter B says, if you'll take this step with us. The letter B says this. I'm going to prove that, that I, it's saying for you, you're going to prove that you love and accept the other people around you by inviting them to Stuttgart Harvest Church. And why can you do that? Because we know here they will be accepted and they will be loved and they will be pointed to a Jesus, a God who loved them and accepted them and died on the cross for them. And that's how we can prove it in our church. This is so important to us. This is a core value. We say acceptance is this, beginning right where you are and growing in your life one step at a time. And that's growing with Jesus beginning right where you are. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You come right as you are. And if you'll take this step with us this morning, for the very first time, you circle the letter A. And then if you will, as a church, say, you know what, Harley? I'm with you. Our church is going to love and accept the people in this region, no matter what they look like, no matter what they're addicted to, no matter what their trouble is, no matter what their family life is like, no matter their struggle. This church, we will, you, this church, we will love them and accept them and bring them in and introduce them to a Jesus who loves them and accepts them and will change their life forever. Let's pray. God, you loved us. You accepted us. And God, for that, we're grateful. And God, we desire to be a church that will throw lifelines to people and not rocks that will knock them down. We desire to set up an environment, a church where people do not feel pushed out on the outside, that they cannot come in and meet Jesus on the inside. God, we desire to be a church where people know they will be loved and accepted here. Because God, you did the very same for us. In fact, Jesus, the word says that when you saw the crowds, you had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And God, we need you. We need you to lead us into this community to love and accept people and to invite them and bring them in so that we can introduce them, so that we can point them, so that we can direct them to you, our Father, our Savior, our Lord. And God, we're so grateful that you did that for us. When we were utterly helpless, you came at just the right time and you died for us. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.